Well, good morning. My name is Luke Smith. For those of you all that don't know me, uh, good to be with you this morning on this Lord's Day. And I want to wish you a happy new year. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, We made it. Uh, We're done with 2020. Uh, We're welcoming the dawn of a new year of 2021. Uh, But, you know, even though we have experienced uh, the better part of the last year of 2020 dealing with COVID-19 and an election cycle, the year really didn't look all that different from a normal year for us in that we have experienced joy and things that have caused us to celebrate. We've also experienced a lot of pain and things that would, would cause us to weep and mourn. We don't need a global pandemic uh, or political, political turmoil to experience a conflict and disappointment and disillusionment and anger and disease. Uh, we're familiar with these things. This is a regular part of our lives, even though we hate it. Uh, Maybe you're someone who has spent the past number of months building relationships, uh, lifelong friendships in high school as you have gone through this awkward, confusing, painful time of puberty. Maybe you're someone who uh, landed a new job, the job that you wanted, the job that you needed, but you're also dealing with a crippling anxiety and depression. Uh, Maybe you're someone who... Uh, was elated at the news of your first positive pregnancy test. But then you find out a few weeks later that you've miscarried. Maybe you're someone who has watched your children and your grandchildren make new memories while you watch your spouse lose theirs. We've known joy and we've known pain and we're just trying to make sense of it all. And as we enter into this new year of 2021, we're asking ourselves a question, how can I experience something good that will cause me to flourish? And that's why this morning we're turning to the book of Ecclesiastes because the writer, King Solomon, is trying to make sense of his life and the world in which he lives. And he's asking himself the question, how can I experience something good that will lead to my flourishing? But before we dive in, uh, we need to pray because we need the Lord's help. So would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we need your help. Would you come to our aid? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many of you remember the late 1980s movie, The Karate Kid. Um, It's a story about this high schooler named Daniel, who is an awkward um, teenager. He is someone who's picked on, he's bullied, he's beat up uh, in his school, and he's trying to figure out, okay, how do I survive my high school years? How do I uh, make it? How do I flourish over over these next few years. And so he comes uh, to this solution. I I think I need to learn karate to defend myself. And so he goes to this martial arts master, Mr. Miyagi, and he says, Mr. Miyagi, would you teach me karate? And Mr. Miyagi says, Daniel, how about you go wax my car? And then he shows him, this is how you put the wax on. This is how you take the wax off. Wax on, wax off. 
The next day, Daniel says, Mr. Miyagi, teach me karate. And he says, Daniel, go sand the floor. And he shows him, this is how you sand the floor. The next day, Daniel says, Mr. Miyagi, teach me karate. And he says, how about you go paint my fence? And so he shows him, this is how you paint the fence. And then again, he says, Mr. Miyagi, teach me karate. He says, how about you go paint my house? And he shows him, this is how you paint the house. And after a few days, Daniel is just fed up. He's tired of doing all of these chores. He's angry at Mr. Miyagi. And he says, why won't you teach me karate? Miyagi says, I've been teaching you. I've been showing you the different movements. I've been showing you the fundamentals of karate. If you want to succeed, if you really want to learn how to do this, you need to learn the fundamentals. See, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, again, is trying to make sense of the world in which he lives. He's trying to figure out how can I experience something good that will lead me to flourish. And so he searches the whole world over. He, he finally comes to this answer at the very end of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12 that we read earlier, where he says this, fear God and keep his commandments. Wax on, wax off. These are the fundamentals of a life of flourishing. If you really want to know how to do life well, if you want to flourish, fear God and keep his commandments. What does it mean to fear God and keep his commandments? Well, it means to, to honor God, to revere him for who he is and what he does, believing that he is so good that his ways are the best ways. Uh, that what he has designed for your life is the wisest and safest road to take in this life. Fear God and keep his commandments. So here's why we have to fear God and, and keep his commandments. And these are our two points. First, because there is no hope in death. And second, because there's only hope in the life that he gives us. So first, there is no hope in death. What do I mean by that? Well, look at chapters, uh, chapter nine, verses one through three again. Solomon says, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that this same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead. That sounds like a really morbid picture of existence, doesn't it? He's saying it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, death is coming for you. For eight chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has been looking at all of life good things in life, like, like money and, and pleasure and power and work. And, and he's been asking this question, what if I centered my life on this one thing? What if I made this one thing ultimate? Will my life work? Will my life flourish? And, and here's what he finds. No, because death covers everything. 
You can amass wealth, but the market eventually will crash. You can fulfill all of your sexual desires, but passion and beauty fade and people get bored. You can rise to powerful positions, but you can be deposed and voted out. You can be an Ironman triathlete and still get cancer. You can grow a company and then get left in the dust of changing technology. Everything is broken. The songwriter Bob Dylan, he sang about this. He's, he says this, he said, the broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts. Streets are filled with broken hearts. Broken words never meant to be spoken. Everything is broken. Broken hands on broken plows, broken treaties, broken vows, broken pipes, broken tools, people bending broken rules, hound dog howling, bullfrog croaking. Everything is broken. See, Solomon is this guy who had everything you could possibly imagine. He had all of his wildest dreams fulfilled all at the same time. He was the wealthiest person to ever live. He was the wisest person to ever live. He, he had immense power. He had untold riches. He experienced all sorts of pleasure. He had a, a, a woman for every day of his life. He built great things. He, he realizes finally here at, at the end of Ecclesiastes 9, he says, and yet one day I'm going to die and I can't take any of that with me. Everything is broken. There's this theme that is threaded throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes. And you see it here in Ecclesiastes 9 and it's the theme of vanity. Solomon starts the book like this. He says, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. It's this word for vapor. It's like going out into the cold night air and you, you take a breath and you see your breath just for a moment and then it disappears. Solomon is saying life is short and then you die. And we hate that because we hate death. We're fearful of death. And so we try to push back death any way that we can. The problem is, is that we typically do so in unhealthy ways. How do, how do we push back death in unhealthy ways? Well, we waste so much time on social media worrying about what people think about us. We, we put tons of effort into uh, photo, photographs and uh, photoshopping and um, uh, filtering, uh, vacation pics and, and beach pics and meals that we've made and, and selfies because we desperately want to be liked. Uh, we post our political opinions on Facebook and maybe uninformed medical advice and argue with people in a nonverbal, non-personal, virtual environment because our world will come crashing down if we are not right. It's just trying to push back death. If you're a parent, maybe you steer your children towards certain activities and a, a certain career, um, hoping to live vicariously through them. And if they're successful, maybe you won't feel like such a failure. We're just pushing back death. We become obsessed with diet and fitness regimens because we feel shame when we look in the mirror. 
We care too much about what people think about us and how we look. So we put dye in our hair to make the gray go away. And we put creams on our our hands and our faces to make the wrinkles go away. We buy clothes that we don't need, that we can't afford to look hip and look really stunning because we're not getting any younger and we're afraid that people are not gonna find us attractive. We're just trying to push back death. We can't deal with the futility, with the vanity of our daily lives. And so maybe we drink a little too much. We're lonely. And so maybe we spend time in bad relationships with people that are unhealthy for us because we know death is coming and we don't wanna die alone. What does Solomon say? He says, this is an evil that is done under the sun. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way that God intended for us to live in this world. He intended us to live with him forever in goodness, in perfection, in holiness, without the burden of sadness and grief and vanity. Death is evil. Did you hear that? Death is evil. But here's the thing, we experience death and all of its effects in every aspect of our lives because our first parents and we bring it in with our sin. That is why we experienced a year like 2020 and 2019 and 2018 and 2017 and 2016, the list goes on and on. The Bible tells us that we're not just people that are broken who live in a broken world, but we are the rebels who broke it. Did you see what Solomon said in verse three? The hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts. See, here's the problem that that Solomon uh, finds out in Ecclesiastes, that Even death will cover the pursuit of something good if you try to make that which is fleeting ultimate. Let me say that again. Death will cover even the pursuit of something good if you try to make that which is fleeting ultimate. Why? When you make something ultimate, everything is about that one thing. It defines who you are and what you're about. And and this is actually the very heart of human rebellion. We see time and time again throughout scripture, the Lord reminding his people of what Solomon said in verse one. He says, your life is in my hand. This is who I am for you. This is what I've done for you to make things right with with your life and your world and cause you to flourish. But we live in ways that, that say, I think I found something better. If you look at the Exodus, you have God delivering his people from 400 years of slavery. He he delivers them from the hand of Pharaoh. He parts the Red Sea. He gives them a playbook, uh, the 10 commandments for how to flourish in this life. He gives them more water and food than they would ever need. And then they make a golden calf and they start complaining that it would be better for them to be back in Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh as slaves because they really miss the taste of barbecue. They long for meat. They've made something fleeting, ultimate. But this shows up in our lives. God gives us himself in the person of Jesus who who came to, to, 
to shed his blood for us, to save us from a lifetime, an eternity of slavery to sin and says, your life is in my hand. This is who I am for you. This is what I've done for you to make things right with with your life and the world to cause you to flourish. And we live in ways that, that, that say, I think I found something better. And all of this leads to death. When, when a good yet fleeting thing like comfort becomes ultimate, patience and kindness dies. When a good yet fleeting thing like wealth becomes ultimate, generosity dies. When power and status become ultimate, humility dies. When sex becomes ultimate, love dies. When work becomes ultimate, relationships and family die. There is no hope in death. But second, here's why we have to fear God and keep his commandments. Because there is only hope in the life that God gives to us. Look back at verses four through six. Solomon says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die. For the dead know nothing, they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. In other words, Solomon is saying, if you have made ultimate what is fleeting and your heart has turned away from what God has designed for your life, not only will you always be following a moving target that will never satisfy you, but the only thing lasting that you'll experience is death because that's where it leads. The Christian writer Cornelius Plantinga, he he said this. He said, the point of our lives is not to get smart or to get rich or even to get happy. The point is to discover God's purposes for us and to make them our own. So what is our purpose in life that God has set before us? What is our calling? Well, our calling is to fear God and keep his commandments. This is just another way of saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. If you recall in uh, the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, when the Lord gives his people Israel the Ten Commandments, he says, be careful to pay attention and do all of these things that I'm commanding you, that it may go well with you, that you may flourish. Now, you may say, okay, but I need something practical because I'm gonna wake up Monday morning and go through the slog of, uh, of my, my Monday and work and family life, and I'm just trying to survive. I need something practical uh, to, to help me get through this, to help me make sense, to help me flourish. So, so give me something that will play out in real time and space. And Solomon gives that to us. Look, look at verse seven. He says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. In other words, enjoy life, soak it up. God has given it to you for you to enjoy. Find out what what gives you joy. Find out what you love and invest in those things. Look at verse eight. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. You see, in in that day, honored guests at, at parties 
would be anointed with oil and would be uh, draped in white robes. Solomon is using the kind of language that celebrates community. He's saying, look, don't go at life on your own. Invest in people. Invest in a community. Invest in a city. Look at verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Now, are are we just to, to slog through life and wait until the clock runs out? Is that our calling? Is that our purpose? No, by all means, no. He, he's saying, look, God has given us an opportunity to take part in good things, to participate in, in the good life that he has given us despite all the vanity. Look, if anyone was ever wearied by the vanity of life, it was Jesus. Even from the moment of his birth, he was facing death. He was born to die. And yet what did he do? He took up a vocation. He became a carpenter. He engaged community. He, he had friends. He enjoyed life. He went to parties, and when the party started winding down and got kind of boring, Jesus turned water into wine to keep the party going. Even after his resurrection, Jesus sits down on a beach and cooks a meal and shares it with his friends. He cares about life. Jesus cares about your life, even that which might seem ordinary and mundane. He cares about your life from sunrise to sunset because he didn't come to this world to just beam us up to a better place. He came to redeem this world, to redeem humanity, to show us what, to show us what it looks like to flourish in this world, even despite all of the vanity. Adam and Eve were not subject to some sort of different calling, some sort of different purpose after they sinned and left the Garden of Eden. They're still called to be a good steward of creation, to be a good steward of relationships, to to work with their hands, to, to seek beauty, to love their spouse, to love their neighbor. It's the same calling. If you remember Jesus' prayer in John 17, just before uh, Jesus died, he prayed to the Father, Father, uh, would you cause my people to flourish as you send them into the world, not remove them from it? Look at verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. In other words, whatever your job may be, whether that's being a parent or, or a teacher or a nurse or a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or financial advisor or pastor, a musician or therapist, be the best that you can be because God has put you there for a reason to flourish and to cause other people to flourish. And he approves of what you do. I like the way that one uh, writer summed all this up. He said, is death coming? Yes. So go make a sandwich. Wash the dishes. Go drink your wine with a merry heart. Go love your family. Do your work well. And he says this, the grace of God's wisdom teaches us to give ourselves to our portion of work, food, marriage, family, and a bath because these things are what God gave for human flourishing. Eden has changed, but his purposes for us have not. 
if you want to experience a life of flourishing, fear God and keep his commandments. So what? Okay, maybe the question for you this morning is, but can I really trust that? Can I really trust that 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 is what is going to help me make sense of life and to experience goodness and flourishing? Let me tell you a story. Uh, There was a uh, lieutenant in the Japanese army during World War II named Hiro Inoda, who was sent by Japan uh, to to take uh, Lubang Island in the Philippines. They said, whatever you have to do, even guerrilla warfare, make sure uh, that the allies uh, don't, don't take it. And so he burned the pier, he burned the harbor, he burned the rice fields, he, he destroyed uh, the airport, the airstrip there. And then in 1945, uh, Japan uh, dropped leaflets onto Lubang Island that said, war is over, you can, start, you can stop fighting. And Hiro Noda told his men, you can't trust the messages from the sky. Burn them, keep fighting. And this went on and on. In 1949, Hiro Noda was still fighting and Japan dropped more leaflets onto Lubang Island. And Hiro Noda told the men that were left, you cannot trust the messages from the sky. Burn them. Most of Hiro Noda's men either died or deserted him. And Hiro kept fighting until 1974 until one man showed up on the island and he told Hiro Noda, the war has been over for a long time. You can rest. I don't know what all of your stories are. I don't know where you are in life, but maybe given your context, uh, over this past year, or, or maybe uh, what you are looking ahead to in 2021. Uh, when you read the Bible, you feel like it just sounds like messages drop from the sky and you have a hard time trusting it. But let me tell you, there is hope for those who have joined themselves with the living. Our hope is that God has shown up and said, the war is over and you can rest. We just celebrated that 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, God showed up. Jesus was born to turn right side up to that which is upside down with this world. Let me tell you one more story. There was a woman a number of decades ago uh, in 20th century in Great Britain who had a friend who gave her a gift of a yellow velvet bookmark that she had gotten from a church tent revival. And on this bookmark, it read, for this, I have Jesus. The day after the woman received that gift, uh, she got a knock on her door from two policemen. They said, ma'am, I'm sorry to inform you that your husband died this morning in a car wreck. And you need to come to the station to identify the body. She was distraught beside herself, grief-stricken. She was full of, of pain and sorrow and confusion and anger. She didn't have words. When she finally got home, she opened the door and then there on the table was this yellow bookmark that said, for this, I have Jesus. 
she put that on her husband's gravestone. For this, we have Jesus. Maybe you're someone today who, who says this world is confusing, it's maddening, I don't know how to make life work for me. For this, we have Jesus. Maybe you don't know what it looks like to manage four kids under the age of five or six. You don't know how you're gonna pay your bills. You don't know if your marriage is gonna last. For this, we have Jesus. Will there ever be an end to racism? For this, we have Jesus. I've been wrestling with being attracted to the same gender for years and I don't know who to turn to. For this, we have Jesus. I feel so lonely. For this, we have Jesus. When will this pandemic end? For this, we have Jesus. How do I fear God and keep his commandments? For this, we have Jesus. Jesus lived a perfectly obedient life for us and he gives us his record of obedience. He takes our F and he gives us his A+. I'm fearful of death. Death is coming, yes. But for this, we have Jesus. When Jesus stood at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he told Lazarus' sister, Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus defeated the power of death so it would not have a hold over you. So you would not fear death. And he was raised to life that you may be raised in him and live in him and flourish. That means that we can have hope in this life and we can live in the freedom of that hope in the here and now in real time and real space that we can wake up tomorrow morning on a manic Monday and face the harsh reality of the world around us, that we can face the vanity of life and yet experience the goodness that God has laid before us to enjoy God has made a way through Jesus for our lives to flourish because our life is ultimate to him. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are patient and kind. You are powerful. Lord, that you love us so much that you um, would send your son Jesus into this world in a manger amongst animals and uh, the poor, uh, lonely, uh, someone who would grow uh, to be one who was uh, despised and rejected and suffering the pain of death so that death would be no more for us. Lord, that is amazing love. That is amazing grace. May we live today as we start this new year of 2021 out of the joy of the life that we have in Christ. And we pray this all for his sake and our joy. Amen.